Good morning. Welcome. So glad to see you all here this morning. Man, a lot of people here this morning. Glad you are here. My name's Matt. Um, if you're new and this is your first time joining us online for the first time, welcome. So glad you've joined us. Um, we are in a, a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. So right away, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 11. So you can go ahead and turn there as I kind of give you a a brief overview of what we've been talking about and what today is really going to be all about. Now, we started this sermon series last week. It's called Mass Gatherings, and we're looking at the instructions that God gives the church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth is a lot different than the church today, but the principles that God gives the church are timeless. So there's amazing practical things that we can actually apply to our lives today from the, the scriptures that we're going to be looking at. It's been really great. I, I love uh, this sermon series as we're going to be going through it. I've, I've studied for this. It's been really powerful, really practical things for us today. Now, last week, we looked into authority structures that God had placed in place, put in place authority structures for our good and for his glory. So that was really good. This week, we're going to be looking at communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. Now, you may have heard it called many different things, but it's communion. So today we're going to be talking about communion, but also today we're going to practice communion too. So I'm excited about that. Now, um, we have some great information on communion on our website. So um, if you would like to know more as I'm talking through this, I've got uh, a short time to share about one of our sacraments, one of two sacraments that we celebrate as a church, baptism and communion. Today I'm going to be sharing about communion. We have a lot of details and many scripture references. If you go to our website, look up at the About link, and then I think it's under Our Beliefs. You can read through um, pages and pages of information on communion that will be additional information that I'll give you today, too. So, and now Paul, as we look through here, Paul has been responding to questions that the church in Corinth had asked him. He is also responding to reports that he had heard about the church. Now, here's a couple things we need to wrap our minds around that we already know about 1 Corinthians is this, is that 1 and 2 Corinthians aren't the only letters that Paul wrote. He actually references early letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth. So, so there's that. We don't have those earlier letters. That's kind of interesting. Now, it's a huge different culture. I mean, it's a huge culture shift from what we're like today as a church and what the church in Corinth was like. And so we have to kind of wrap our minds around that cultural difference as well and, and kind of put the puzzle pieces together of, of how these letters, how these instructions apply to us today. Now, the church in Corinth didn't do very many things right. I mean, it was, we've already talked about it, it was a hot mess. I mean, they, 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 they really messed it up. I mean, if it was, one of the things in Corinth, and it's really going to come out in the sermon today, is that there was, there was all kinds of cliques in the church of Corinth. You guys, you guys remember high school, maybe junior high? You had all these different cliques. You had the cool kids. You had the nerds. You had the goths. You had, the, you had all these different cliques and groups of people that were judged and looked at and, you, you know, categorized and all this other stuff. It was awful, man, right? High school, junior high, I mean, those, that's just awful to be categorized like that and generalized and just really awful. But the church in Corinth had the exact same thing going on, if you can imagine that. Clicks in church. Who, who could imagine that, right? We would never do that here in the church today, would we? Never. 
No, but they had these different cliques. And that's really what's going to come out today. And one of the major things Paul's going to be addressing, and, and it's, it's, it's really powerful how he addresses it. So anyways, there's all these different things. If you could, you know, put it in today's words, it's probably a bad episode of Saved by the Bell or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something, if you've ever watched one of those shows. But Let's, uh, let's read in um, verse 17. We'll pick it up, chapter 11, verse 17. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open it this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do the supernatural work that you say you will do, that you would bring these words to life in our hearts and in our lives, that this word would change us and grow us and make us the people that you've called us to be. Lord, right now we surrender our will to you. We surrender our minds to you. We say, have your way, Father. For your glory and for your kingdom, open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, that should kind of let us know what's going to happen here. I do not commend you. Paul's about to lay it out for the church in Corinth. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine that? I mean, you're gathering. Basically what he's saying is, your gatherings are terrible. It would be, you'd be better off if you just didn't even come together at all. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. There we are. There are cliques among you. There are divisions among you. Now remember, this is really good for us to remember, that one of the main themes, probably the main theme of the book of 1 Corinthians is unity. Paul's writing this letter with the the idea in mind to draw the church together in unity, that we would not be divided. And he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions Divisions and factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. All right. The first filling in your notes today is this. And it's that main theme coming out again in 1 Corinthians. Communion is a sign of unity. Communion is a sign of unity for the church. The church in Corinth was split. Now, not literally. They all came to church and worshiped together, but they were not unified. There were those cliques and generalizations and these separations. But the reality that we find in communion is that we are all together in this. We are all together in this. There are no cliques, clubs, or levels. All of us, all of us are in desperate need for the atonement found in Christ's blood shed for our sins. Communion reminds us we are unified in this humility, the strongest of us, the weakest of us, the richest of us, the poorest of us, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the depravity of your sin, we are all stand exposed, dependent, and needy at the foot of the cross. 
Now hear this. The cross is a slap in the face to the proud, but a river of comfort to the humble. We were all born into sin, every single one of us. Enemies of God, destined for an eternity, separated from our Creator in hell. The consequences of sin are eternal. We are reminded that good people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people go to heaven. Communion reminds us of our reliance or dependence on Christ. And in this vulnerability, in this humility, we are unified. When we realize this, we realize that everything that we have, every blessing in our lives, every gift that we've been given, any good gift in our lives comes from our Father in heaven. Everything, every penny in my bank account is God's. My wonderful three children are God's. My wife is the Lord's. My home, all of it is His. If I look and I, I think about when we come together to celebrate communion, I think about the implications of what it really stands for and what it really means is that, that I was a sinner separated, an enemy of God, but in communion I look to the cross and I see the grace and mercy of God in the person of Jesus Christ and I say, wow, I don't deserve any of this, none of this. But God in his great mercy looked at me and said, you are mine. And with his great grace and mercy and kindness, he lavished us with love and grace and mercy and gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us what we desperately need. From this cross-centered, Christ-centered perspective, we see our brothers and sisters with compassion as equals, all of us equals. We could never, from that perspective, we could never see ourselves as better than. And this compassion is then walked out by caring for one another. Now, how do I get there? How do, I, how do I just get from, you're talking about the cross and all this other stuff, to caring for one another? Well, let's think about the text and what Paul is saying here. We have to think, and I'm going to fill you in on a little bit of, of early Jewish culture in this Passover meal and what they were celebrating and what we call communion today. Well, in their time, it wasn't like this. It wasn't, you know, a, a wafer and some grape juice. That's, that's, that wasn't communion in Bible times, okay? Um, communion in Bible times was you know, the Lord's Supper, that's why we call it Lord's Supper, it was a meal. It was a full-blown, all-out potluck type thing. I mean, the full meal. There's multiple things in this meal that symbolize different things and multiple um, glasses of wine that they would drink that symbolize different things. This was this whole meal that they would have. And what was happening in Corinth is that some people were showing up early, maybe showing up on time, and, and they were eating all the food. 
They weren't even thinking about their brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, they were just eating it all. Some of them were drinking all the wine and getting drunk and not sharing it with anybody. It was horrible. Paul points it out. And it was so interesting to me as I was studying this. I was like, Paul is tying together this selfless, considering others, thinking of others first to communion. He's saying, listen, you're coming together, you're not even thinking about each other. All you're thinking about is yourself. You're eating all the food, not even caring about those who, who didn't have food to bring. You're drinking all the wine, and you're not even thinking about those, your brothers and sisters in Christ that don't even have a drink. How could you? What? What are you doing? Communion is a symbol and represents the most selfless, sacrificing act in all of history. And Corinth had made it one of the most selfish and self-centered acts that you could ever imagine. What does that mean for us today? It means that as we come together as a church and we celebrate communion, it's not just about us. But we are to consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this symbol and this practice of selfless remembering, this selfless sacrifice that Christ made, is meant to propel us and motivate us to this selfless and other-centered idea that Christ modeled for us. It's caring for one another. It's providing for each other's needs. The church in Corinth was coming to communion meal and it was all, all about themselves. And God is, through Paul, telling us, go outside yourself. Think about others first, loving, caring, and providing for one another. This is the unity that God's calling us to. This is the whole point, that we would come together in unity together thinking of each other first. Christianity, this practice of Christianity should be a competition of selflessness. Have you ever had that? Maybe you've practiced that with your wife. Yeah, me and Janelle do that every once in a while. Where would you like to go to eat tonight, sweetie? I'm going to prefer you. Where would you like to go to eat? Of course, her, her response is always, well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Right? That's usually how it ends up, right? I don't know. Where, where do you want to go? So I usually try and pick her favorite restaurant, right? Because, guys, we know our wife's favorite restaurant, right? So I try and pick her favorite restaurant. I'm going to prefer you. Or maybe uh, she comes home from work, and it's been a long day, and, and, uh, and she, she wants me to vacuum the house. And so uh, I'll prefer you, babe. I won't wait till tomorrow. I'm going to vacuum the house right now. For those of you who know me, know I enjoy vacuuming, so that's not much of a sacrifice. But anyways... Maybe it's, it's that. It's, it's just outdoing one another. And I, there's been times where me and Janelle will be talking, and I'll, be, I'll prefer you. No, 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 let me prefer you. No, 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 let me prefer you. I'm sure your marriage is like that too. Our, let me just be honest. Our marriage isn't like that all the time, right? But there, are, there have been times where we get into that argument. You know, it turns into an argument. No, I'll prefer you. But that's, but that's really what, what Paul's getting at. This is, this is what the cross and, and communion is supposed to propel us and make us see and, and understand. That we would be caring for one another. This, this Christian journey is, is a, a, a relationship, not just with Christ, but with us, with one another. 
that God has put us together here at Mission View Church on purpose. You're not here on accident, and that we're supposed to do this together. Man, what a great thing that is. I mean, I can stand here and preach the gospel and hopefully reach a few hundred people every Sunday, but you can take what I've said to all your coworkers, all your friends as we journey this together, go out into the mission field out of this high school, and maybe it is this high school, and, and share the good news of Christ, the good news of the gospel together, unified. And that's, that's what Paul's really pointing us to. Man, it's awesome to know that there's no caste system in the kingdom. There are no haves and have-nots. Those who God has given much to are to help those who God has given little to. This humility that we find in the cross, this humility that we find in this sacrifice that, that Christ made for us, this sacrifice that God sent His only Son is really meant to bring us to our knees. It's really meant to show us not just who God is, gracious, merciful, kind, but it's also meant to show us who we are. Needy, desperate, longing. Are we willing to confess that on your best day, you need the grace of God just as much as you do on your worst day? Are we, are we to the point where we, we've really wrapped our minds around this, this truly free gift that God has given? Hmm. The gospel realized in communion, compels us to selflessness with our time and our talents and our treasures. The fact of the matter is this. We've all been given a priceless gift. So what are you doing with it? What are you doing with that priceless gift? What does the cross compel you to give? Is it everything? Is it all of who you are? Paul is saying at the communion table, we remember the greatest sacrifice ever made, the selfless act Christ did. The church in Corinth was letting cultural ideas invade or corrupt this kingdom principle of equality in the eyes of our Creator. We all come to the table in equality. We are all saved sinners, full of gratitude, joy, and humility. Let's move on. We'll look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Man, it's amazing the symbolism. And this meal that they were taking, this would have been the third cup of wine that they would have drank that evening. And it was a symbol. It was, it was a symbol. Of, it was a cup. It was called the cup of redemption. That Jesus would take the cup of redemption and say, this now is my blood, which redeems you and me. Think about that. For hundreds of years, they've practiced this meal. All the symbolism, all the beauty that, that God placed into this meal. And here, in this moment, in this time, Jesus flips it around. He says, this now, this is my blood. This is my blood shed for you. Three things he tells us about communion right here in the text Jesus tells us. The first thing is this, is, is when we take communion, we are remembering. Remembering. We're remembering. I really want us to, to dive deep into this. We're remembering that Jesus left heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus left paradise. This, this place, this heaven, this, uh, this amazing treasure that, that God, God has told us about, that we are, we are waiting for, that in that, that time that, that God brings us to that point where He takes us to be with Him, that's what we've all been waiting for. That's what we are, are all looking forward to, we want to go there. We want to be there. This perfection, this paradise, free of guilt and shame and free of temptation and, and in this unity with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this glorious, glorious eternity that we have. We're longing for this promise that God has given us. Jesus left it. He just walked out of it. And what did he do? He became a man. He put on flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Think about it. That's crazy. Why? Why would he leave such a place? And, and we know what he went through. He was, he, he was murdered at 33. Short life. Three years of ministry. Why? Because he loves you. Because he knows your name. That before time began, he knew that you'd be created. And he, he has special things set aside, good things for you to do. You're not an accident. You're not here by happenstance. There's a creator God that knows you and loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He did it because he loves you. He was tortured, mocked, humiliated, naked. He was hung on the cross. And in the last moment, this creator God, sustaining God, hanging on the cross, allowed his creation to murder him. He could have at any moment, any instant, said, nope, we're starting over. And he didn't. Because he loves you. The second thing Jesus tells us is that we are to proclaim. 
We are to proclaim this good news of God's love for us. This glorious God who is above all things, sovereign over all things, this sustainer, creator God, has made a way for sinners like you and me to be in good standing, right relationship with our creator again. We are to proclaim that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, but he died for me and he died for you. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't an idea or a story. It is something personal. It is something personal for me and you. So it's not just a story of, of all throughout history, which we could tell from Genesis to Revelation. We know the beginning and the end, and we could tell that story. It's more than just that story, the story of humanity and the story of this creator God. It is a story of you and me. It's a personal story that I've walked through and lived out. That this grace from God, this mercy from God in the person of Jesus isn't an ideal. It is something that's happened to me. And it's something that has changed my life. We are to proclaim that Jesus has come and forgiven and loved and cared and made wrong things right. We're to acknowledge that it was my sin that held him there. That I was in need of a Savior. And that Jesus' substitutionary death made a way for all who put their faith in Him to be saved and have eternal life. That unity that we talked about already, this level playing field that all of us, all of us, were in desperate need of a Savior. And the third thing Jesus tells us is to look forward. To look forward. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming in, and what a day that will be. I don't know about you, but as I've lived out my life, I'm 44 years old, I've lived out my life, I've seen some pretty crazy things happen in this world. Some really wrong things, some really grotesque things happen in this world. I have all these questions and all these struggles as I look at society, and I, I see things that are just like horrific. I'm just like, God, what is happening how has humanity gotten to this point where we see so many horrific things that, that people can do to one another? And then I see a fallen world and a fallen creation, and, and I see tornadoes and, that kill people and tsunamis and earthquakes and all of these other, and I'm just like, what is happening? God, it looks like all of this is out of control and all of this is just wrong. We see all of this as a it's a, by, a byproduct of the fall of humanity in the garden. All of these things just, just break our hearts and, and make us wonder and, and question. And Do we get to the point where we, we recognize that God's Jesus is going to come back one day? And all of these questions and all of these concerns and all of these these angsts in us that our minds try and work through, he's going to reveal to us and show us what is going on. All of the wrong things will be made right. All of your questions will be fully answered sufficiently. Our, our minds will be put to ease and we will see things and know things that, that will blow our minds. We proclaim 
in communion, we proclaim that Jesus is coming again, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the suffering and the difficulties that we've had in this life will be taken away, will be revealed. That is the hope we are to proclaim. It's not just that Jesus, that God sent Jesus to die for us and that he rose from the dead, defeating death in the grave and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father now, but he is coming back again one day. And when he comes again, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords on a white horse. And everyone will recognize, every single knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what we are to proclaim. That is what communion is saying to us. It is all of these things, not just one or the other. It is your sins are forgiven by the King of kings and Lord of lords who will come back one day and change this world and change our minds and give us understanding and answer our struggles and sufferings with sufficient answers to all of those things. That's what communion is saying. That's what Jesus is saying to us that it means. It is so much more than our sins forgiven. Now, don't get me wrong. That's huge, right? That is huge. I'm a huge sinner. That's a lot of sin. But it's so much more. Look for, we remember, we proclaim, and we look forward. Jesus is coming again. We will look forward because he is preparing a place for us in heaven for all eternity. We look forward because this life is short and we live for the life to come. And we look forward knowing that we have a job to do in the here and now. Jesus didn't just die so that we would go to heaven. Jesus died for our sins so that our lives would be changed in the here and now. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, there was a really interesting statement he made to his followers. And this was this is a crazy statement to me. It boggles my mind. He goes, I'm leaving because I'm sending someone and it's going to be better. It's going to be better than me being here in the flesh. Okay, if your mind didn't just melt, it probably should have. Who here would have loved to meet Jesus in the flesh? Come on, let's be honest, right? Like, all of us, right? I, I would love to just like sit down for a cup of coffee and be like, bro, what in the world? Tell me more about this stuff, right? No, but, but Jesus says, listen, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to leave now and I am sending the Holy Spirit and it's better. This is better than me being here with you in the flesh, that my spirit will indwell you. You will have the very spirit of God living inside of you. And he's going to change you and grow you. And, and he's going to make you like, like God's only, he's going to make you more like Jesus every day. In church, we call it sanctification. That God is just changing us and growing us and making us more like Jesus each and every day. Jesus says that's better than him being here walking alongside of us. <laughs> Communion reminds us of all these things. Let's move on. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. I'm going to stop there. First of all, this isn't a salvation issue. He's not talking about salvation here. It is a matter of sin and repentance. Back then, they would have had a full meal that we talked about already. And some 
who thought more highly of themselves were eating all the food, drinking all the wine, totally selfishly ignoring and humiliating their brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we need to examine ourselves and ask those hard questions we talked about. Where in my life have I been selfish? Where in my life have I not put my brothers and sisters in Christ first? Let's be honest. We all need to repent and ask for forgiveness before we take the bread and the cup. Because we all have been selfish and prideful at times. This is a point of repentance and, and sin, which, which can become a salvation issue if we do not repent. But that's not the salvation issue right here as we're talking about. Moving on, concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then... And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. We need to take a really, really honest look at our lives. When we come together and take communion, we need to ask God to reveal any wicked way in us. And here's, here's just the reality of humanity in a fallen world. All of us, all of us have pride that is active in our lives right now. The question isn't, am I prideful? The question is, God, where am I being prideful right now? God, would you reveal any wicked way in me? And God, help me deal with it by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does is, is he opens our eyes to our own blindness and reveals those things in us. So the third point in your notes today, the last point is this. Communion is to be taken with reverence and discernment. Verse 20 says, let a person examine himself. 29, for anyone who drinks without discerning the body. Discerning. We cannot celebrate or commemorate a selfless act in a selfish and self-serving way. Be honest with yourself. Confess, repent, and trust in Jesus' work on the cross and trust the Holy Spirit's continuing work in our lives. Do you care for your brothers and sisters? Are we thinking of others first? Or are we just concerned with what I want? Jesus is our example of selfless sacrifice. And great division in the church happened because of pride. As we remember, proclaim, and look forward, we take the time to worship, pray, and meditate on God's grace and goodness. Our failures and weaknesses his strengths and provision, 
our dependence and freedom. At the foot of the cross, we are both humbled and free. We see the depravity of our sin and weep, but we don't live there. We live in the forgiveness, mercy, and grace of God. We don't ignore our sin. We confess it, and it breaks our hearts, but then we celebrate the glorious gift of forgiveness and freedom God has given us in Jesus. In communion, we are united in worship and confession. In communion, our tears and sorrows are turned to joy because we remember or proclaim and look forward to the victory that we have in Jesus. Now today, we get to take communion together. What a, what a great opportunity. We were supposed to have communion next week, but I was like, man, the text today is communion, so let's, let's do communion after we've talked about it. Communion is so, so much, so many things. It encapsulates, I mean, the powerful word of the gospel, the changing work and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit now in our lives. What a great thing we get to practice. So as you came in, you should have received um, our communion elements. Now these are a little tricky. I don't know if you've, you've gone through this or not, but you may want to start now trying to get the wafer out without opening the grape juice. Just going to put that out there, man. It's a little difficult. Start working on that now. But I'm going to lead us through communion right now. And since I have the text right in front of me, I'm just going to lead it like Jesus said. Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take this wafer, we recognize that it symbolizes your body, that you were broken, you were mutilated, beaten, you were betrayed. And this free gift that you've given us comes at the greatest cost. We admit right now we are sinners. We fall short of God's perfect standard. But in your grace, we are set free from sin, condemnation, and guilt. What a gift it is in Jesus Christ. So we recognize your body broken, Jesus. No words are sufficient. No song is sufficient. We humbly come to the cross right now. We admit our weakness and dependence on you. I'm just going to give you a few seconds to moment with the Lord, to confess and ask for his grace and mercy. Father, come and have your way. Have your way, Jesus. for an Christ's body broken for you. Now, in the same way, also he took the cup, the cup of redemption, saying, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize this cup, this grape juice symbolizes the blood that was shed for our sins. No greater cost than our creator, sustainer, our God died for us. He fulfilled your perfection and made a way. So as we take this cup, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made. You may drink. Christ's blood shed for you. What an amazing thing this is, isn't it? This, I know it's not a full meal, but this meal, this Lord's Supper, this communion time, what, what a powerful thing we remember, we get to participate in. Brothers and sisters, know your sins are forgiven, that we are meant to go out from this place and love our neighbors, our family members to the Lord. Share the good news that you've experienced, this freedom and this joy of redemption in Jesus. Let it inspire and motivate you to share it with others. Isn't it amazing that God even gives us that opportunity? That he invites us into this kingdom work? What a grace and mercy from God. Let's stand together and sing this song together.